please give your attention to the reading of God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this, this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of Most High. And Lord God will give, you, give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his, of his kingdom there will be no end. And and Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will, be, will come upon you, and, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears and the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now let's give our attention to the preaching of God's word. That was kind of awesome. I don't know if I have to add a little sermon behind that. Maybe this would be great to have every week. So well read. Um, how beautiful that God is praised and his word is read, especially when we get together as a family here at CCSC. Hey, it's Advent. That means the arrival of Jesus. Talk about three things as I could usually do before we get on to the celebrations we're gonna do. Uh, first, I'm gonna talk about the womb. Second, women. Third, the wonder of Jesus. Okay, that's the title. The womb, women, and wonder of Jesus. Uh, the author Luke, <clears throat> in this gospel, he's the most down to earth. Uh, while Jesus is fully divine, the full humanity of Jesus is on greater display in this gospel. Uh, you guys all know around the holidays, there are kind of three taboo topics you should try to avoid at all costs. Uh, Bennett read it, this word virgin, so you should avoid the topic of sex. Second, you should avoid the topic of politics. And the third, definitely stay out of religion. Packed right into our passages, all three. The angel announces it, and Mary turns around and says, but I'm a virgin, how am I supposed to give birth? You know for Mother Mary, she will now have to endure the perception and the gossip and the slander of that she is a scandalous woman, far from a saint. 
Second, the angel announces of this child, this baby born of Mary, of his kingdom, there will be no end. I mean, talk about political rule. This one's eternal. Last but not least, religion. He's to be called Jesus, which means God saves. He's to be called the son of the most high. He's also to be called holy. And let's just top it off. He's the son of God. The son of God. All right, so in this Advent season, let's look at three things that Luke wants us to look at. Clearly, first, the womb. The womb. Uh, there is a Greek word for baby, brephos. Brephos. To me, it sounds brephy or beefy. You know, kind of like big, fat babies. That's what it sounds like to me. I'm sure it is not included in the Greek. But this word, brephos for baby, is used in verse 41 and 44 of Luke chapter 1. Get this. For babies who are unborn. The Greek term for baby is used for Elizabeth's unborn baby inside the womb, who would grow up to become none other than John the Baptist. In verse 44, she says, my baby, John the Baptist, leaped for joy. All right, let's look at Luke chapter 2 now, verse 13. <coughs> Excuse me. If we could project that, Luke chapter 2, verse 13. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So what Greek word do you think is used here? Exact same one. Now, this is for the baby Jesus who is born outside the womb. So baby is used for John the Baptist inside the womb. The same word is used for baby Jesus outside the womb. Now we look at Luke chapter 18, verses 15 and 16, and it says, Jesus was the kind of person that infants, little children, felt safe. They would come running into his arms. And what word would Luke use for little children or infants? Brephos. Brephos. Aha. Uh -huh. So what is the Bible revealing here? Long before this is a political, social, gender, divisive issue. Long before that, what is the gospel of Luke at least revealing? Preborn prematurely born, unborn, postborn. Each life is the very creation of God. Each baby is miraculous life given by God from the womb. And each human baby is assigned with infinite value because each baby was made in the artistry and in the very handiwork, in the image of God. And get this, God assigns value to every human being before any human doing. The way that God thinks, his worldview is that every human being, before you do anything, or are capable of performing or producing anything, no production, no track record, nothing. A human being, preborn, unborn, postborn, precious in the sight of God. Now, Luke's gospel is written by none other than a doctor. Great to be a doctor, but also he's full of the Holy Spirit, so way better. And here's what he describes, really emphatically, right? Let's look at verse 41 of chapter 1. And when Elizabeth, 
heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So forget the word brephos. If you don't like that he's using the same Greek word, you might think, oh, their vocabulary was limited, so he had no other word to choose. All right, fine. But verse 41, what did this thing do? What did that tissue do? What did that other, whatever you call it, do? The unborn person in the womb leaped for joy. Look at verse 44. It's kind of a double emphasis, right? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, Elizabeth hears the greeting of Mother Mary. The sound of another pregnant mom's voice makes another pregnant mom's baby, added again for emphasis, leaped for joy. Leaped for joy. Oh, I don't know any other possible conclusions one can really derive from the Holy Scriptures, especially at Christmas time, than that these two babies are anything less than human beings. Human beings. God values and prizes and loves all human beings from the womb. Look at verse 42. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, declares, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, please, my friends, hear me loud and clear. Being able to get pregnant and have babies is not the most supreme, exclusive blessing you can ever get from God. Far from it. But surely they are blessings. Blessings from the womb. This is an attestation of Elizabeth now, along with Luke, they're both filled with the Holy Spirit, that God is giving a blessing by having her become pregnant. And you know, throughout history until today, for whatever bad press that Christian evangelicals will get over and over and over and over again, a lot of it may be well-deserved and justified. Let's look at the other facts, though, the, the statistics. Do you know who's at the forefront of most all pregnancy care centers? Do you know who fosters most children? Do you know who values and advocates and promotes adoption? It's the same Christian people. And it's because Christian people bear the image of God and they see and value the image of God in all of human life. Look at verse 43 now. Verse 43. Here's another, another added on layer to the precious infinite value of these babies who have yet to be born. Quote, Elizabeth is saying, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Listen, Elizabeth is moving way beyond the question of, is the unborn child a full human being or not? Now she goes on to say, your unborn child will be my Lord. Mary, you know your unborn child? I worship him starting now. I recognize not only a human being here, but he will be the God-man. That's the womb. Second, women, much more quickly now. Women, women are all over, scattered, of course, throughout Luke's gospel. In ancient cultures, you do know, <clears throat> much like Asian cultures, uh, the older would usually be honored and served by the younger. But here, Elizabeth, the older woman, goes out of her way to honor and praise a younger mom by the name of Mary with the loftiest praise. Again, in verse 43, which we just read, the first person in the Gospel of Luke to recognize that Jesus Christ to be born 
is Lord is Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. She has way, way ahead. I mean, prescient, predictive, Nostradamus, whatever you might call it, prophetic. She recognizes and begins to praise and worship Jesus from the womb. And do you know this is a pattern throughout the Luke's gospel? Not only that the older is going to honor and serve the younger, but guess what? It's usually women who grasp spiritual truth long before the men. Sorry to say that, but that's how this gospel reads. Luke's gospel is about massive upheaval. Lots of things getting flipped upside down. Socioeconomic, political, spiritual, and of course gender. In these gospels, you'll never read another religious, religious text like this. That's ancient. Women aren't just side pieces, secondary characters. It's not like, oh, we're barely just allowed. Let's include some women in our story. No. Women here from Luke chapter 1 are praised for grasping spiritual reality and truth long before the men. Before our passage, when angel Gabriel shows up in Luke chapter 1, and he prophesies to Elizabeth, Elizabeth believes what angel Gabriel has to say long before her husband by the name of Zechariah. Now, poor Zechariah, do you know what he did when Gabriel first spoke to him? He did not believe. He scoffed. And then the, the angel Gabriel rendered him silent. He shut his mouth for months. I'm pretty sure some wives are sitting here in this room right now thinking, that is a double blessing. If my husband one day were to come to believe in God, believe in God's word, and because of his reluctance and hardness or delay to believe in God's word, an angel would shut his mouth for months, he'd go dead silent for a while, that is a double blessing. That's incredible. But that's exactly what happens here with Zechariah. Zechariah did not want to believe, wouldn't believe, he's rendered mute. But who believed first? Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Oh, let's talk about Mary, who will grow up with a scandalous reputation. Look, everyone's going to whisper and talk around her and talk behind her back. That is for sure. Sure you are a virgin. Hey, we timed it. Uh, you gave birth. Uh, ooh, that doesn't really work out on the calendar. But Mother Mary, although she struggled to believe at first herself as well, by an angel's announcement, does come to believe. And you know, I just can't find it in the gospel. Her husband Joseph is nowhere to be found. The womb, women, last one real quick now. The wonder of that baby Jesus being born, the Lord. The wonder of Jesus. I hope everyone in this room has heard in some degree Jesus was born to die. I mean, Harry Potter just stole that whole theme, the storyline straight from here. Jesus was born as a human being to die for sinners. Sinners who had no other way to be forgiven in a right relationship with God. And in fact, you will never be in a right relationship with other people as well. But Jesus was born to die for sinners. And the only way you're going to ever live past the judgment of God after your physical death is to believe and look to a savior. This is the most important, consequential, eternity-defining work 
Jesus Christ, born at Christmas time, can do for you. If you look and believe in him, your entire future, present, and past are changed on the spot. However, Jesus was not born as a human being simply to wait around to die on a cross for your sins and rise again. What did he do all the way up until his death? This is what we call the wonder of his incarnation. His incarnation. Listen, friends, when holidays roll around, I know for many of you, including myself, it usually gets more hectic. There's things from the past, hurts or traumas that resurface. You're forced to maybe meet with people that you've been really hurt by. The holidays may conjure up memories of people you miss and ache and still grieve over. But I want to tell you, if anyone in this room is interested in, you know, how do I love people better? How can I serve and love people better, especially in the holidays? Here's what I want to present to you at this last part. You first have to assess what the other person really needs first. If you want to serve and love people well, if you want to relate better than we have before, you have to differentiate what the other person may need most. For instance, here's what the Bible says. If someone is in sin, you're in sin. Someone else sinned against you or you sinned against that other person. What do those people need most? The gospel. The Bible always says the gospel. It's the most important supernatural work. Jesus had to die so that other people could live. Live in love and live forever with him. So, when someone is in sin, what do they need? Gospel, truth, and grace. And I want to tell you, my friends, that kind of gospel lands better. It moves your heart more when it comes from fellow forgiven sinners who have experienced the gospel themselves. All right, quickly, there's a second category of people. You know not everyone just caught in sin? Hey, did you get sick recently? Are you sick? Oh, you must be in sin. No, that'd be terrible. Terrible. There's a whole slew of other people who are what we call weak, a weary, exhausted, just physically, emotionally, maybe financially beaten down and sick. Should you approach that person the same way you would approach someone who's caught in sin? No. You know, even Jesus Christ himself felt tired and weak. Well, I take great heart in that now. And here's what it reads in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. He, God, gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths, even in a young age, shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Hey, when you meet someone weary and weak and sickly and all tired and beaten down, you might want to give them some food and medicine and a good drink. And show them a lot of empathy. And again, this will land much better from other people who were previously weak and weary and sick. That's the ministry that people have to give when you assess what this person needs most from me right now because they're so sick is they need strength. You know, your pastor, one of your pastors, I have a big public confession to make today. I'll say it. I was judging a lot of you about two months ago. I really was. 
And the only reason I could judge you is because I thought I could feel I'm better than you. You know why? Because I thought a lot of you was too casual. You were missing too much in-person worship service. I could see it when I'd stand up here. How come so many people and families are missing not just one week, but like four weeks in a row, whole months? Now, I want to tell you as a pastor, I really don't think it's healthy for you if you miss Sunday in-person worship for no good reason and you're cavalier and just casual about it. This could become one of the worst habits in your spiritual life you ever gain. Having said that, while I was judging you about two months ago, my family and I got sick starting last month. Started with Elizabeth, then Taylor and myself, then my wife. My wife is the strongest, toughest one. She's over it in a week. This cough, though, this is the best it's been in three and a half weeks. And there were days that I could barely crawl out of my bed. I'm sorry, oh church. I have so much more broken sympathy for you now. And I think about the fact when you have three or four kids at a certain age, good night. I can't believe how brutal this flu was. I'm so sorry that so many of you have been so sickly. Don't feel guilty or bad. You didn't show up to church. In fact, you're probably trying to protect all of us. Keep us healthy, so thank you. But do you understand my point here? When someone is caught in sin, they need the gospel. They need the gospel, the truth and grace of the gospel. But you know who best bring that gospel? Forgiven sinners. If you're weak and sick, they need strength and sustenance and restoration. Do you know who best brings that? People who went through that ER first. People who've been on that operation table or they've been laid out. Third category, last one real quick. I would call it as a lot of people who are wounded. You're hurt. You're massively and deeply hurt. And there needs to be a time to grieve, to process. The deeper that wound or hurt, the longer it takes to even begin to process and then to heal. Hey, my friends, you're Christian today, brothers and sisters. When you find someone really wounded or hurt, please be careful. You can't just slap Bible verses on that. Bible verses don't make the hurt go away. It takes time and a lot of space to process and to pray. And do you know again who deals with wounded people the best? Wounded healers. People who have been wounded themselves but have found such healing and grace in the gospel. Listen, if you want to love and relate to people well, you have to differentiate what the other person needs most. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. These two verses. It charges all of us. And we urge you, brothers... Look at the different approaches. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all, though. Be patient with all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. My friends, you could be in, in sin. You could be weak and sick. You could be wounded. We all need to learn to love one another better. But do you know what all these approaches, all these ministers require? It requires a patient presence. 
You know what people need most? This will be a generalization. More than a principle, more than a lesson, more than a pat answer, everyone really needs a presence of love. Everyone deep down in their hearts needs a patient presence of love. Everyone wants someone who will be there and who will stay. Everyone wants someone that you can hurt, but they can turn around and still love and heal you. Everyone wants someone who will actually go to the point of costing this person so much, but you know that that person is still for you and loves you. And do you know who that reminds me of? Do you know who does this best? It's the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was born fully human. And the wonder of it all is that he's not just taking you up into the kingdom of heaven. But he is giving you exactly what you need most at the right time, in the right way, to the right person, with the right words, with the right wisdom and care. The perfect, perfect counselor. Because you do know, Jesus was born to be condemned for our sin, to be so weak and weary and sickly and wounded even to death, so that he can give you and I exactly what we need most. Oh, praise be to God and Jesus for his incarnation. And here's how Jesus can give you right now exactly what you need most. We close with these last two verses. John chapter 1. He came to his own Jesus and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Hey, young and old, brothers and sisters, it's, I'm so happy to be worshiping together with you today. Do you know that today you could be conceived as a child of God? Do you know it's a supernatural miracle by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can now come into a right relationship with God as your Father? All you have to do is look, need, trust, Believe in the name of Jesus Christ who was born to die for you and who was born to give you exactly what you need most all the days of your life. And when you believe and look to him, rest your life in him, you are born again. You are beloved. You are adored. You are known. You are prayed for. You are guided. You are led all the days of your life. May it be so. As Jesus Christ wants to come and live in you. He can come and live in you. So that you might love God. And love other people the way he loves. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for this word. Thank you for the riches of Christmas in this Advent season. Oh Lord. All we need what we need most, who we need above all, is your son, Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you touch and give all my friends here what they need most this morning? May we be full of your love, your healing, your holiness, and your salvation, so that we might in turn, O Lord, love and serve others.
the way you love and serve us. Hear us, we pray. May you be worshiped throughout this day and in this season. In Jesus' name, amen.